0: Pacers lose in Detroit to the Pistons ugly game Pacers play with no force no energy get stomped by 20 what happened what went wrong plus let's talk about Jordan Wara's growth after another big game and this week's standings watch all coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast you are Locked On Pacers your daily Indiana Pacers podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today we are diving into Pacers Pistons round two, which did not go as well. As round one for the Indiana Pacers, they got stomped in Detroit tonight. We'll talk about what went wrong for the Pacers, still with the same guys out and in as it did on Saturday when they got a win. Plus, Jordan Wara, 14 fourth-quarter points, making some nice plays. I want to dig into some numbers and context behind his surge since joining the Pacers. And at the end, it's time for this week's standings. Watch what's going on for the Pacers and around the league as they make their push or other teams make their push. All sorts of places with draft implications on the line. Apologies in advance if the video or audio quality is not the best on this one compared to normal. I am in a hotel room in Detroit. I went to this game uh, to see the Pacers and Pistons play. It was quite fun to be inside of the Little Caesars Arena. That is, I have not been since it moved from Auburn Hills. It is sweet. One of my new faves. If you've never been, I highly recommend it. What I don't recommend is watching the tape of this game again if you missed it because, oh my goodness, did the Pacers look miserable miserable in this game. They had about 5 competitive minutes to start the game where it was close and interesting. It was like 8 to 11. They were losing at the 7-minute mark and at the end of the first quarter they were down by oh, you know, 18, 18 points. 38 to 20. That was the game. The Pacers lost this game by 20 points. That 18-point deficit in the first quarter really did it i mean james wiseman dunked with under a minute to go to make it 20. so if you want to even discount that final meaningless bucket that 18 point difference in the first quarter was really the entire game and that you know the pacers slow starts have been a usual issue this season but they did really well starting on saturday and if you just wanted to look at one game compared to the other because the pacers played the pistons in fact the pistons were weaker they're without marvin bagley in this game Pacers had the exact same rotations. You could say that they were playing a weaker team and instead just played worse. And Rick Carlisle said it kind of succinctly after the game. He said the difference in the game was obvious in that just the edge they played with from start to finish, we just simply did not match it. And that was very obvious early in this game. Pacers in the first quarter. 7 of 22 from the field, 1 of 9 from deep. The Pistons go 4 for 10 of deep, shoot 15 for 24, and it was seven, excuse me, seven to 15 Pistons on the glass. I mean, obviously they had more chances at defensive rebounds, but they also did better on the offensive glass. And they had way more assists, and they had more blocks, and they had more steals, and fewer turnovers, right? Every single category in the first quarter, except for fouls, the Pistons won. They were flying around the court. Eugene Marui. Chris Duarte's college teammate was amazing. Uh, He had 11 points in that first frame. And that just set the tone, right? The Pacers had some good moments for the rest of the game. Their late second quarter was excellent. They cut it all the way down to 12 in the third. And I saw some people who cover the Pistons that I love were saying, oh, this is a classic Pistons game. They're going to lose. And then a 13-0 run in the third quarter from the Pistons, also key in this game, uh, put it away. They were up 25 at the end of that run, and they never really looked back. So Carlisle's take was the force and I, I agree if you watch this game there was a clear effort difference at times where one team was you know a little more aggressive around the basket and the, the the Pacers were kind of passive in the way they were playing and you could tell that they you know had a rotation that they're not used to right they had a lot of guys playing in roles that outside of again two days ago they don't typically play right Jordan wore a season high in minutes for him over 30 for the first time as a Pacer I guess I suppose he could have been Higher with the Bucs, but Pacers high in minutes. Andrew Nembard nearly reached his season high in minutes, as did jo- uh, George Hill, sniffed his season high in minutes. Shaper Set sniffed his, his season high in minutes. And of course, George Hill, James Johnson, even playing is significant for the Pacers in terms of their rotation. That's another thing that I think was significant. And Aaron Neesmith said the third one that kind of gets lost sometimes in these. You know, the Pacers did something unique earlier this season, and this applies to what just happened in this game. They beat the Magic twice in a row at home. And the Magic, at the time, were not that good of a team. But it's really hard to beat a team in the NBA twice in a row during the regular season. I know that sounds like an excusory thing, but even opposing teams that I've covered, like really, really talented teams, say something similar. It's hard to do because there's just such a mental game of, you know, you already beat a team, you know how to beat them, or you lost to a team, so you want to fix your issues and then beat them the next day that or whenever the next game is that really helps a lot of the time the team that lost the first game come out and play hard the second game and if you'll recall I think in those two magic games the Pacers played one was really close and one was like a 20 point game right the mental game part of it is significant in a way that makes it really hard and Aaron Neesmith discussed that after the game and you you know there was a lot of questions about the playoff nature of playing one team twice in a row in the same arena. But Aaron Nieschmidt said, it's always tough to beat a team two times in a row. It just is. Even if it's not a very good team, like in this case, the Pistons, uh, it's still tough. And so uh, the Pistons came out certainly with more motivation after getting their butts kicked, uh, especially in the fourth quarter on Saturday. The Pacers came out with very little motivation, and you could tell. And the whole difference came from that starting mentality, that 18-point difference in the first quarter, basically was the whole game. So the Pacers lost this one right away. They've got to get over these slow starts, even if they have none of their top guys available. And by none, I mean uh, Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner. They missed their second straight game. Doesn't sound like anything long-term with basically anybody who sat out in this game for the Pacers in terms of Halliburton. Uh, Matherin could be a little different. But Halliburton, McConnell, and Turner could be back later this week. TBD on specific times there. Matherin, still nothing concrete in terms of timetable though I don't think he's going to miss the rest of the season or anything like that so really slow start for the Pacers but if you want to look at other stuff that went wrong for this team they couldn't really generate good threes without uh without McConnell and Halliburton it was a struggle for them to find a way to get into the paint and spray out to those shooters for those threes they went 10 for 34 from deep and a lot of them were self-created Wara hits three out of six he was the only guy to have a really good shooting game Uh, On this one, Duarte was okay. He did hit two out of four. But Buddy Heald was one for seven. Aaron Niesmith was two for six. Nembard was one for three. Brissett and Jalen Smith combined zero for six. Right, they could not generate as good of threes without two of their best creators and their best shooter. Ah, Buddy Heald might be a better shooter than Halbert, and that's debatable, I think. But they couldn't generate good threes. I thought that was really significant in this game. Right, that's something that. They don't typically struggle with. They they can get them up and create them a lot, and they still created 34 of them in this game, but it was significant in that they were really struggling to create good looks from deep in this game, and that's such a bread-and-butter thing for the way this team has played all season long. They are able to run fast, create those shots, and make it happen, and they just absolutely were not able to do that in this game, so that, that was a big thing. And the other thing, and this is something that I think I want to do a segment on at some point soon, Pacers have been really struggling keeping other teams out of the paint. 62 points in the paint for the Pistons. They had 20 at the end of the first quarter. right They were just absolutely rolling in terms of scoring. They had no issue getting inside and getting to the rim, which led to some easy layups. But also, their bigs were just bullies in this game. James Wiseman, five offensive rebounds, getting buckets off of several of those. He finished with 14 boards by himself. That's one-third of the Pacers total. Backup center for the Pistons in this game, Jalen Duran. Five offensive rebounds. He had 11, right? They were the only two guys in double-digit rebounds all night. They were getting easy putbacks for buckets throughout the game. No Turner, certainly something there. Uh, but at the same time, he's also not the best rebounder, right? The Pacers have got to be better on the glass. Their reading re- leading rebounder in this game was Buddy Heald with six, right? They got smoked on the glass, and that led to a lot of the Pistons' points in the paint but some of them just came from the classic stuff the Pacers have been plagued by for a while right Corey Joseph beating guys getting to the rim RJ Hampton beating guys getting to the rim Amarui who I already talked about Jose for 13, right? He's getting to the rim, and the bigs off obviously were significant in that endeavor. Pacers' protect, ability to protect the paint has been really, really weak recently. They gave up a ton of points to the Spurs, the Pistons now twice, the Rockets in the paint. Like, the paint protection has just not been at the level the Pacers needed to be at if they want to defend well, and so they, they just need to be better in that area. So if you had to point to some things for why the Pacers lost this game, general effort, which is one of the worst ways to lose in the regular season, or really in the NBA in general, although... I would say that it's understandable at times. Uh, The lack of ability to create good three-point looks without their stars, especially McConnell and Hal and the big one that I would like to highlight at some point soon, their inability to protect the paint and prevent the Pistons from getting easy points around the basket. Stuff that is correctable, especially if they have their best players back in the short term or even not like immediately short-term. But we'll see where this goes. Pacers, had they won this game, would have moved to 10th in the East. That will have to be now put on delay as an option until later. We'll get to the standings in the third segment. But in the second segment here coming up, I want to talk about Jordan Wara, who was really good, again, the Pacers' leading scorer in this game. They basically played his minutes to an even draw, and he played over 30 minutes. He did some good stuff and was fantastic in the fourth quarter, and I thought a lot of the commentary around him from himself and Rick Carlisle after the game was extremely fascinating before we get to Jordan Wara and what was said about him and his general development with this Pacers team. I want to talk to you guys about Ibada. We're always throwing money at something. Kids' school supplies. Your own school supplies. A new house project or apartment project. The list goes on. It's time to stop spending your hard-earned money without getting anything in return. Enter Ibotta. You can earn cash back on every shopping trip. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. Either link your loyalty account or upgrade your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $120 per year in real cash back. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Or use your cash back to buy th- that f- flight you've been eyeing, that game you've been dying to go to, that fancy dinner you've been craving. A typical basket of groceries is over $50 more expensive at the end of 22 than the beginning of the year due to inflation. You can earn two and a half times that cash back from Ibotta or even more depending on how much you use it. Ibotta gives you real cash back, not points. Other apps give you points that don't amount to much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards, and you can earn cash back on hundreds of online brand retailers, too. When you start with Ibotta, like Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying it. Use the code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play, download the free Ibotta app, and use code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store, and use the code LOCKED. Check out Ibotta today. For those who embrace the
1: impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender.
0: Thank you, as always, for making Locked on Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, running over to Locked on Pistons, same show I recommended yesterday. Say what, here, excuse me, what Kuka Hill has to say about the Pistons snapping an 11-game losing streak that would have been significant potentially for the Pacers. This loss could have had some silver linings, but it was immediately removed by a different game, which again, we will talk about in our final segment today when we dive in to standings watch. But for now, I want to talk about Jordan Wara, who was quite excellent again in this game mainly in the fourth quarter his final stat line 31 minutes and 16 seconds one of only three pacers to play over 30 minutes and only two to play over 31 7 to 12 from the field three for six from dp at three free throws for 20 points he also had four rebounds three assists and two steals doing a little bit of everything 20 points he was a minus two almost an even in 31 minutes He and Neesmith both basically played the Pistons to an even draw with them on the floor and played over 30 minutes. The bench was really rough in this game. That was another takeaway that I think someone could have. But Wara was not one of the reasons the bench was rough. He was really good and got in with the starters in that fourth quarter after a small ankle tweak from Chris Duarte. In the fourth, Wara went five for seven. He hit three threes. He had two assists, 14 points plus three in the final frame. He continues to have these impressive games with this team. Entering this game, he was averaging 11.2 points and 3.6 rebounds per game for the Pacers this season on 48-37 splits. 64% from the foul line. It's got to be a little better, but in general, positive stuff. And those numbers will be going up in general after this game. And that was all impressive, right? We've seen him do this sometimes before where he's, Finding ways to score with the second unit or being impactful on the glass like he was in Orlando or being huge from the corners like he was in Dallas. You could go on and on. And he was huge from the corners against Houston. He's done good stuff in a lot of different ways in a lot of different games. And for a Pacers team that significantly lacks punch at the four, it's been a needed transition to a new look team with a player that can give them a new element. Right? That alone has made him valuable. And I'd like to dive into some of the elements of just having him at the four at some point. But what was talked about after the game was really interesting and gripping to me. And that's something that Rick Carlisle was talking about. And that was just kind of a theme for Rick over the weekend, just because of who was out, I think. But, you know, it's a lot of young guys playing in these games. Buddy Heald was a vet, certainly. And James Johnson and George Hill played out of necessity. Johnson played four minutes and 22 seconds. But basically, everybody else who played, young. You'd consider them a young player, Right. A lot of development opportunities for the Pacers in these games. And Rick Carlisle was talking about development. And these guys learning to do new things or learning to play a new role. They all played a new role, basically, or or a bigger version of the role that they typically play. And, you know, his message to the team for this game was prove it. Prove what you did in your development opportunities on Saturday. Prove that you can do it again. And they didn't quite prove it. But, you know, getting those opportunities for these young guys, especially down the stretch of a, of a losing season is really important. And that's why Jordan Wara doing these kind of things is obviously important for him because he's under contract next year too. So the Pacers figuring out what he can be and how well he can play is important. But it wasn't the comments about just general development that struck me. It was about expanding Wara's game a little bit, seeing what he can do beyond scoring the ball. And I asked him the question I asked, I cannot remember, but a different young player in the Pacers earlier this season. And it actually dates back in time. We have to go back to earlier this season, when Talen Horton Tucker was asked about something, he plays for the Utah Jazz now. And he's very famous for his time with the Lakers. But Horton Tucker was talking about how with the Lakers, right, he was tasked a lot with certain things. Get good at spot-up shooting. Get good at relocating on the perimeter. Get good at attacking when you have no one on you because all the defenders are paying attention to AD and LeBron. And then he gets to Utah, and instead of being working on skills that help the Lakers win, He's developing everything. It's an it's a situation where he's asked to learn to develop more skills and become a more well-rounded player. And so that is kind of the crux of what I asked Jordan Wara is, you know, when you were with the Bucks, Jordan Wara was asked to be the guy I just described. Spot up from three, you know, occasionally drive inside and you have a really open lane, but you're playing off of stars. You're asked to develop skills to do that when you're playing the meaningful portion of a game. And so I said with the Pacers, is it a little different, right? Is it more well-rounded stuff, expand your game. And he said, yes, it is. It is a lot more of that. And he said it's a lot more of what he feels like are his natural skills, offensive creation a little bit, and scoring punch in a way that isn't just finishing plays, but potentially a couple times per game maybe, being a creator a little bit, right? Not something he was asked to do ever really in Milwaukee. And for good reason. If you have Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis on your team, among other talented players, You don't really need Jordan Wara to create. But if you're the Pacers and you're trying to see what you have with this guy, seeing these kind of things can be important. And so diving into the numbers shows just how much the Pacers are seeing how his skills can expand. This is entering this game. So a lot of these numbers likely went up because of how well he played. His usage this season, 22.1% for Wara with the Pacers. That is above his career average of 19.9%, which is below average, right? He's above average now with this Pacers team. And the big one for me here if we're talking about playmaking, is 14.6 assist percentage with the Pacers. They're allowing him to pass more, and he's creating buckets for others, and an 8.5% turnover rate. Both of those numbers are career bests, and by a decently significant amount. His highest assist rate with the Bucks was 8.6%, and his best turnover rate was 10.6%, and he's well better than both of those. His rebounding numbers about in line with his time at Milwaukee. His steal percentage is up. His block percentage is a little down. And we're talking about minuscule sample sizes. Some of these could stabilize in a poor way for Wara. But I think that a big, big, big difference, like what you're seeing with his assist percentage, suggests a play style change, right? His efficiency has also been up, which, again, who knows if he continues to get a bunch of usage, if that will remain. But I do think it's interesting to look at those high-level stats that say Jordan Wara is being asked to, with the ball, do a little bit more than just score. And obviously, his scoring has been good with the Pacers. His field goal percentage with them is well above his season average. He's still shooting well from three, right? He's doing a lot of good stuff. But there's more to it, too. You look at just general touches per game, right? With Milwaukee this season, Wara was averaging 22.1 touches per game, 2.32 average seconds per touch. So not the longest length of time the average seconds per touch with the pacers pretty similar but it's up to almost 30 touches per game 29.2 right so he's getting more chances to be jordan warren make that stuff kind of happen right i think that is absolutely fascinating his dribbles per touch is about the same too so the pacers are just saying be you but do it more create a little bit more be that kind of guy and i think that is just absolutely fascinating that he is being asked to not just be Jordan Wara, the scorer who can play power forward and give a new element. And by the way, in this game, this is not a big subplot because it was kind of by necessity and James Johnson, only playing a little bit. He played the three a little bit alongside Brissett and a center, right? That was something new that he had not done yet with this team. But I think that as you see him develop more with the Pacers in this team, you know, we've already seen it in the front court, but at some point, especially, I don't know what they're going to do for the play. And they're chasing it now, but let's say they're eliminated. I don't, I think it would be. A natural thing for them to explore more of Jordan War, the creator, right? Two assists per game now over that number with the Pacers. I don't think it's something they should do often, right? They have better creators than him, but getting him better at that is valuable. Three assists in this game. He's been good on the glass. He's making the shots. And I'm not saying they should run their offense through him or he should take the ball up, up the court or anything like that. But as a guy who can catch and then make a decision that isn't just finished plays off of a star you're seeing him develop right now, and the Pacers haven't had that element at the four in years, in a long time, so that's been a big development for him, and I think it will end up being a big development for the Pacers as time progresses. We'll see where that continues to go as the rotation eventually gets a little more more back to normal, but Who knows when that will happen? Maybe in Milwaukee. Maybe a little later against Philly. Maybe even later than that. Who knows? It seems like some guys are close to returning. uh, And we'll cover that as the time comes. But time for the weekly segment now for the final month of the season. Standings watch. What has happened in the last week for the Pacers in the standings? Where are their draft picks at the exact moment I'm talking? What do they care about this upcoming week? All that fun stuff coming. Before we do that, though, let me talk to you guys. About FanDuel. FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, and the three quarters point of the NBA season is here. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel because new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Right? Hop in on those spread bets, money lines, whatever you like, player props for points, assists, whatever. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com. That's FanDuel.com. To learn more, make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thank you, as always, for making Locked on Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, jump on over to Locked on Bucks. Pacers' next opponent, first of all, but second of all, they just had a wonderful game against the Sacramento Kings out west. And Kane Pittman will have more for you on the Bucks and his lovely Australian accent out there. Uh, and covering this Bucks team. Let's do standings watch. I love doing this mostly because not only do I think it's a thing that fans should know and be tracking, but also because I get to really dive into it more every week, and I try to keep up with it mostly every day, but that's really hard to do. So Pacers had a chance today to do something significant. They had a chance to move into 10th. In the East, the Wizards were not playing, the Bulls were not playing, and had the Pacers won and beaten the Pistons in this game, they would have been 32 and 37, which would have put them tied with the Bulls in terms of games back of, of first or whatever, but it would have given them a better win percentage than the Bulls, and because they would have been tied in the games back department and they have the tiebreaker over the Bulls, the Pacers would have been in 10th in the East, and only a half game back a ninth, the Raptors sliding right now. So this game was an opportunity for the Pacers in that way. If you want the Pacers to play extra basketball when the regular season is done, that is still technically within striking distance. Now, they did lose the game. They're now 31-38, and 38, puts them 12th in the East. They are half a game behind the Washington Wizards, who are 31-37. and 37. So if the Wizards lose their next game, that's back to tied. And that tiebreaker is still TBD. It will be based on the Eastern Conference record for those teams at the end of the season. Could go either way. Pacers currently have it. And then the Bulls hold the 10th spot. They had a great week. They got some great wins out West. They beat the Nuggets. That was unexpected and huge for the Bulls. They are 31-36. and 36. Pacers tied in the win column with the Bulls. So it depends on how the Bulls' next two games go. Those teams do play on Tuesday. But the Pacers are currently one game back of 10th and 1.5 games back of 9th, which is the Raptors at 32-36. and 36. They have played one game less than the Pacers. So if they lose their next game and they've lost three in a row, the Pacers would be one back of ninth, but all those teams would have played one fewer games than the Pacers to this point. The Pacers only played two more games for the rest of this entire week, so that the game's played part should balance out. So that's where the Pacers stand in relation to the back of the plan. And there are some other teams that I could continue to to look at and talk about. If you look at where the Pacers could end up, right? Their peak wins is now 44. Technically, they could get the four seed if things go miserable for the Cavs. I'm not going to do that, though. Like, their peak win percentage probably nets them pretty close to where, you know, the Miami Heat are right now, who are in 7th, the Knicks have won seven of their last 10. They're 40 and 30. I don't even think the Pacers are going to get to 40 wins this season, so it's very unlikely to even look at the playoff teams. But the Heat and Hawks are kind of the fringe of what's worth discussing. The Pacers are three games behind the Hawks, who are in eighth. They have lost two in a row. They're 34 and 35, just under 500. And the Pacers could potentially finish close-ish to 500, but I think catching the Hawks seems unlikely. And the Heat are 37 and 33, Pacers are five and a half back of them uh, with only 13 games to go. A five and a half game difference is basically insurmountable. I think the next time Standings Watch comes, you will no longer have to think about the Miami Heat at all and just be thinking maybe about the Hawks, but definitely about the Raptors, Bulls, and Wizards if you are someone who's a fan of the play and chase. Now, on the other side of the Pacers, the Magic have won four of their last ten, and they are two and a half games behind the Pacers and that's in the inverse standings and that's where we will flip now the Pacers still at the same spot they were last week despite playing decently well sixth in the inverse standings in the lottery odds whatever you want to say and they are is no way they can get to the top four it is now literally impossible like last week it was functionally impossible now it's literally impossible the Hornets have lost 48 games The Pacers' peak losses is 51. In theory, they could get behind Charlotte, but uh, the Hornets are going to lose more than four games the rest of the way. The top two teams have already lost more than 51. The Spurs have lost 50. The Pacers are not getting the top four. The Magic are 28 and 40. That's two and a half games difference. The Pacers could theoretically get up to fifth if they really stink it up down the stretch. And then it's just really close. Pacers are sixth right now. There's a half-game difference between Washington and Portland and the Pacers. Portland, 31 and 37 as well. And then it's Chicago, Toronto, and then Utah, LA, New Orleans, OKC. Those teams that I just said, from Toronto to OKC, separated by half a game. Or excuse me, one game, right? They're all very close. Now, all those teams except for Utah are trying to win. And so I imagine they'll finish with a better record than the Pacers. So the Pacers are pretty close to basically a top 10 pick, but it's going to be interesting to see how between Washington, Portland, Utah, and Indiana, things shake out for the Pacers. It'll kind of depend on how this chase ends up going. Pacers going 2-1 in their last three against crummy teams has sort of elevated them in the standings here, but they're still in sixth, and they still have a little bit of an advantage over some of these other teams. And reminder, the tiebreaker that matters for the playoffs does not matter for the inverse standings. It's just a coin flip If you finish with the same record as another team, we'll see where the Pacers end up landing here. But if you're a lottery fan, you would like the Magic, the Wizards, the Blazers, and the Bulls to have solid weeks going forward. You'd actually be happy in that case to have seen the Bulls beat the Nuggets this week, which was the biggest upset in terms of what the Pacers care about in the standings. Looking at the other draft picks, for the Pacers, the Buck or excuse me, the Celtics, who the Pacers have their first round pick, they lost the game to the Rockets today, which we'll get to the flip side of that in a second. That is just a, a crushing game for the Pacers. But either way. The Celtics pick currently 29th, uh, but it is half a game away from 28th and one game away from 27th. If you'd like that pick to move up, you're rooting for Philadelphia and Denver to get some wins. And the Celtics quietly not kind of playing that well recently, 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. So it's possible that the hot, red-hot 76ers, who've won five in a row and visit the Pacers this weekend, could catch up to the Celtics. That pick could improve ever so slightly. Cleveland. The Pacers, other first-round-owned pick, uh, also lottery protected. Neither of those teams have clinched a playoff spot yet, although they are pretty close. The Heat's peak wins is 49, and the Celtics are at 47. And so the Celtics' magic number to clinch a playoff spot is 3. The Bucks, I believe, did clinch a playoff spot today with their win over the Heat. Uh, speaking of the Cavs, that's the other Pacers pick. They are 43-27. and 27. That is currently the 26th pick in the draft. It is half a game away from the Grizzlies, so the Grizzlies could not come down to 25th, and 1.5 games away from the Kings in 24th. Brooklyn, it's three-game difference there, but they are meh since making all their trades and getting rid of Kevin Durant. It seems like the best-case scenario would be Boston's pick being 27th and Cleveland's pick being 24th within reason lots can change along the way cleveland likely can't get up to 27 so uh pacers fans beyond being philly and denver fans are also sacramento and memphis fans in terms of first round picks the second rounder pacers own pick uh, is gone. They don't have it. Uh, their second rounder is going to be one of Cleveland's Golden States or Milwaukee's. They're all crap. There's no real point of getting rooting interest in that. The other one that matters, but the Pacers potentially having Houston's second rounder, but only if the Rockets finish with a bottom two record in the NBA. That's why this loss against the Pistons could have potentially been important for the Pacers, right? That helps the Pistons get another win and maybe brings Houston back to the worst record in the league. But then, 30 minutes later we were watching it in the media room the Rockets beat the Celtics crazy game in theory helps the Pacers first round pick but hurts the chances of them getting a strong second round pick so the Rockets are 16 and 52 the Pistons are 16 and 53 and the San Antonio Spurs are 17 and 50 the Spurs beat the Nuggets this past week they actually have three wins in their last 10 as do the Rockets and so if you would like the Pacers draft picks to be as good as possible which everybody does uh, you you'd be hoping to see the Rockets finish with the worst record in basketball, but you're really hoping they can stay below the Spurs. So any Spurs win is huge for the Pacers down the rest of the stretch, and every Rockets loss is significant. The big, One of the biggest games on the entire schedule for the rest of the season for the Pacers, beyond their own games, is Rockets-Pistons on March 31st. If the Rockets can lose that game, that would be massive for what the Pacers would like to see down the stretch of the season. So that is your standings update. Little movement uh, from Cleveland and Boston. Significant stuff from Houston beating the Celtics today, and the Pacers are in the same spot, although they are closer to the plan because the Wizards have lost three in a row. The Bulls are five and five in their last ten, and Toronto is really struggling. So that's the Pacers stand. We'll continue to update this every week at a given time. Tuesdays just to, or excuse me, Wednesdays have just no Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesdays have just been natural fits for these so far, and we'll continue to do that as we can. Thank you guys a ton for listening today. I'll be back home for a fun podcast tomorrow, talking with one of the hosts of the Pacer Ruse podcast, Justin, who just came to Indy, visited the Pacers twice on a trip from Australia to the u.s to see the pacers play and do a bunch of other stuff really fun story about his travels seeing the pacers for the first time in years his fandom asking rick carlisle a question all sorts of stuff it's a really really fun show and i think many of you will enjoy it and it's tomorrow so thank you guys for listening today have a wonderful day we will see you for that show tomorrow.